Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Lakeway. So uh, some of the more observant out there have probably noticed that I'm not Pastor Mike. I am neither British nor balding, though I am working on one of those. Uh, I want to thank the, the worship team again, actually, for that. That was really good, right? You can feel it, yeah? We clap, yes. There we go. And, and it's funny how God works, because uh, I've had a message on my heart pretty much since Mike asked me if I would step in today. And I, I was talking to Mike throughout the week. He's like, oh, well, this fits right into the series I'm about to be doing. And then we come here today, and some of the songs that Randy chose out, you know, Randy and I didn't talk about worship for today at all. He just chose his songs <clears throat> as normal. And man, I, I can't tell you how well they fit in today. So I'm really excited because God's at work for this morning. Like Randy, I was thinking about the new year. You know, we're already a weekend, which is kind of weird to me. Like to me, this still feels like the first Sunday of the new year, but I have to keep reminding myself that was last Sunday. But I think we're still close enough. We can still classify this as the new year ish time period, right? And it's during this time that everyone gets this feeling that this is a a time for change, a time for starting over. There's something about changing that calendar out that just seems perfect for being able to move on. So in some cases, it's just hoping, hey, maybe 2022 isn't going to be 2020 and 2021. And maybe it's more personal, where it's, hey, maybe this is the year I'm finally going to get this right. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, you know, New Year's resolutions. Raise your hand if you had a New Year's resolution, by the way. Yes? Okay. Wow. A lot of people didn't try this year. There we go. Shows you what the last couple of years have done to us, right? But for those of you, put your hands back up if you have a New Year's resolution or you're planning on it. How many are still sticking to it? Okay, we got a, a couple eh, here, there, here and there. I'm probably eh, myself as well right now. Um, they're hard to follow through on, harder than you, even in the best of times. Let's, let's go to the before times, right? Before the world went really crazy. Even then, New Year's resolutions still weren't very easy to keep up with. You know, how long do you think the average New Year's resolution lasts? Shout it out, it's fine. Two weeks, five weeks. So there have been multiple studies. Uh, one poll is the, the study that this came from. The average New Year's resolution lasts about 36 days. So, uh, and this is actually from 2020. The year before with 2019, it was actually uh, 32 days. So, hey, I guess the everything made people a little more committed by four days. But really, once you get to February, most people are done with those New Year's resolutions. And we have to ask ourselves, why is that? Like, why is it so easy to really commit to something? Like, like for me, I'm horrible about this. One year, I will commit and I will lose weight. The next year, which maybe was <clears throat> 2020 and 2021, uh, that's one year, right? I don't do so well, and I find myself backsliding and going back to where I'm supposed to. So now, guess where I'm back to again this year is saying, hey, I'm going to do this the right way again. And I know how to do it, but anyway, that's a whole other story. But it's with anything we're dealing with. Maybe it's not just about your diet. Uh, diet and exercise are the most common, but it can be things like, I'm going to read a new book every month and expand my knowledge. I'm going to have quiet time with the Lord every single day. I'm going to read my Bible. This is the year that's going to happen. 
And those kinds of things tend to fade. What happens a lot of times is we are trying to regulate our behavior. So we're looking at the actual things that we're doing instead of the things that are causing us to do that. It's really easy to say, yeah, I'm just going to drink less. Or, hey, I'm going to stop smoking. In fact, I'll say this as an ex-smoker. It's really, really easy to say, I'm going to stop smoking. It's a little bit harder when you're down the line. And all of us probably know this person in your life where you knew somebody, maybe it was that, that uncle who used to drink all the time or it was a friend of yours who used to smoke. And they finally kicked that habit. And good for them. They've moved on. But now they're the most miserable person in the world that you know. They have these anger issues they just can't deal with. Or they cut off the smoking, but now the overeating is the thing that they do all the time. They, they still have something. There's still something in their lives that was causing them to try to fill that hole in the first place. And that's the side of things that's really scary for us to try to tackle. This will sound a little weird, but it's easier to tackle something like a problem overeating than it is to tackle the emotional need that's beneath that that you're trying to fill. And that's the part that we try to ignore most, more than anything else. Um, <clears throat> most of you know that my wife and I do a lot of work with Celebrate Recovery. And CR is designed for people to work through any kind of hurt, habit, or hang-up. It doesn't have to be an addiction. It could be a general life issue, codependency, anger issues, spending issues, <laughs> video game addiction, whatever. It doesn't really matter. And the first part of CR is always talking about denial. Now, the denial I'm talking about is a little different than, say, like, the, the medical kind of denial that you might be thinking of where someone's gone through a traumatic event and it's a defense mechanism. Your brain temporarily shuts down the emotions so you have time to process reality without, you know, psychologically damaging yourself. That's kind of a different animal. So let me just say I'm not talking about that kind of denial this morning. I'm talking about the kind of denial where we lie. In fact, you really can't even spell the word denial without lie inside of it. And look, it's in there, L-I-E. Um, and what happens when we're in denial of these things that are in, the, in our lives, that are in our souls, we lie to sort of three different sets of people. First off, we lie to ourselves. We lie to other people. So that could be strangers or loved ones that are in our lives. And we try, and I'm going to say try, to lie to God. And each of those has a different effect on our life and on our growth. We're going to look into these in a little bit more detail in a second, but I'll give you just the, what I call the universal example of denial. And that's the title of my message today. And that's everything is fine. So I think to myself, hey, am I drinking too much? No, it's fine. My spouse comes up to me and says, hey, I'm, I'm kind of worried. You seem to be spending a lot of time by yourself in your computer room. I'm fine. Or we get a message from God, we're reading in the Bible, and we get some kind of conviction on us, and we think about it, is that me? Am I, do I need to reach out to God right now? No, I'm fine. That's the universal lie. That's the, the most basic form of denial that we have. And you know, the, <laughs> what it comes down to is we're actually not really great at this. We think we're very good at hiding stuff. In many cases, we're somewhat aware of what's going on, even if we don't want to admit it. And we think that no one else around us is noticing what's going on. 
trust me, people can see what's going on in your life. It's harder to lie than you would think. Uh, in fact, I'm going to give you a little visual here. I need a couple volunteers. Um, just, I wouldn't say anyone if you think you're a good liar, but, you know, anyone thinks they're a good liar? No, uh, no one's willing to raise their hand to that in church. I guess I don't blame you. Uh, but can I just get two volunteers, maybe people who think they could uh, play a role or act or anything like that? We can get we, just two people. Oh, we got Flip. There we go. We got two people. Don't worry. I promise you will not be doing anything weird or embarrassing. Flip, come up on this side for me if you could. You'll come right here. I'm just going to try to give you a demonstration about how lying is a little harder than you think it might be. Okay? So I've just got two pennies right here. Nothing fancy. I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you one. Now, just listen to my, to my instructions here real quick. We're going to play a game of which hand is it in. You know, you probably did that when you were a kid, right? You just stick it out, and someone's trying to guess which hand you put it in. But in addition to trying to fool me on which hand it's in, you're also going to choose a role to play, okay? You're going to decide if you're going to be a liar or a truth teller. If you decide to be a liar, you have to answer all of my questions with a lie. If you decide to be a truth teller, you have to answer all of my questions with the truth. You can't switch back and forth, just one or the other. So what I want you to do is go ahead, put your hands behind your back right now. I'll step forward a little bit here. You can lean in toward me so I can't see. Pick which hand you're going to put the coin in. Put it in either hand. And now decide if you're going to be a liar or a truth teller. Once you've decided, you can go ahead and put your hands in front of you like that with the coin in one of the hands. So remember your role. Think about your answer for a second if you have to before you answer. Is it in this hand? Yes. Okay. Is it in your right hand? No. Put your hands back behind your back real quick. We're going to do one more question here. Before we do that, you can decide if you want to move the coin from the hand that it's in now to the other hand, or if you want to keep it in the same hand. So again, you can keep it in the same hand, or you can move it to the other hand. Okay? Once you've decided, move your hands forward. Did you switch hands? Is it in the same hand that you started with? Yes. Okay. There's two things I know about you. Okay. One is that you're a terrible liar, which is why you almost always tell the truth, and it's in that hand. Yeah. You're pretty convincing, but it's in that hand. This one? Yep. Oh, you got me. Good job for Flip there. So he, w- he was able to catch me out on that one. Were you lying or telling the truth? See, and it's funny, that's the part that got me. I'm looking for a liar up here, but hey, thanks anyway. (laughs) Thank you. I'll take my pennies back. That's my pay for today, so I need to keep this. I'll take one for two. That's 50-50, right? Mm -hmm. My point is, whether you're lying or telling the truth, eventually the truth is going to come out. Because here's the thing. We still know which hand Flip had it in, because eventually he just told us. In In any case, whether you're lying or telling the truth, that truth is going to come out. So the way it'll come out if you're lying is going to be kind of ugly. You're going to get called out in front of everyone 
and everyone's going to see, okay, they were lying the whole time, or they had this going on the whole time. Uh, And God knows that no matter what. So I want to talk about the ways that we lie to ourselves and others and God, uh, and the reason why we want to get around that, because if we're able to get ahead of that, and we're able to start living in the truth, we can start healing. So first off, I want to start on how we lie to ourselves, and that's where we're going to spend the most of our time. Because this is the area that's hardest for people to get past by far. Once you've kind of stopped lying to yourself, it's a little easier to move from there. Um, But this is the starting point. And at its most basic level, the way we'll lie to ourselves is we'll tell ourselves that there's no problem. That everything is perfectly fine. There's a lot of different ways people might try to justify this to themselves, either from you know, being willfully ignorant of whether something is wrong or not, uh, or outright trying to stretch the truth to fit their own reality. This is what you sometimes hear in churches called secret sin. These are the kinds of things that I'm holding inside of me, and I'm accepting, and I'm allowing to be a part of my life. I'm saying, hey, this is okay. I can have this in my life if I want to. And the Bible really does teach us against that. In 1 John 1, uh, 5 through 6, says, the word says, This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. When we talk about fellowship with God, we're not necessarily talking about your salvation, right? So if you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, you've you've come to him, you've confessed that he died for you, that is your salvation. That's what one of my mentors likes to call the fire insurance, right? Um, You've been saved. But if you want to be in fellowship with God, if you want to be walking in step with God, you can't let this darkness be in your life. And that's why it's so important to go back and try to evaluate yourself and figure out uh, where that darkness might be. And we'll talk about a couple ways you can do that later on. But it's here in the word. If we want to be in step with God, we've got to get these things out of our lives. You can tell you're lying to yourself because you'll hear yourself say a few different, that's a little weird sentence, you'll hear yourself say, um, you'll say a few different things to yourself. There's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. That's a, a pretty common one. I've decided that this is right. Or, I'm not hurting anyone. This just affects me, so it's okay for me to do this. I'm not hurting anyone else. Uh, this is one that can be kind of tragic. I can change them. You know, I, this person's broken, but I can stick around and I can fix them. It's not a big deal. You're, ma- you're making too big of an issue. This is, this is something small, so we don't have to worry about it. I work hard, and I just need to unwind. I know most of us have used that one before. Other people do a lot worse. That's a very easy justification, right? Saying, hey, they're doing all this stuff, and what I've got is nothing. And then one that can be a very dangerous one to go down, that rule or law or verse wasn't talking about me or what I'm doing. Okay, it's talking about something else. I'm choosing to interpret it different. All of these things, if you catch yourself saying these things, you probably need to double-check what's going on in your life because there's a good chance you're trying to convince yourself whatever you're thinking of is perfectly fine and okay. And since this is the most prevalent form of denial, period, uh, this is one I wanted to give you a a pretty stark example of from the Bible. Um, I'm sure you've all 
heard of King David before, right? Uh, and King David, he was up in his palace, and you've probably heard the story of David and Bathsheba. It was another man's uh, wife. Uh, it was a soldier by the name of Uriah. It was uh, his wife, and he was lusting after her. And I'm sorry to say, this is for everyone who's my age, who grew up with veggie tales. No, he did not steal a rubber ducky. He invited Bathsheba back to his palace, where he seduced her, and then, unfortunately, got her pregnant. And he knew that people would find out about this, so he tries his best. He pulls Uriah in from the field, and he says, hey, go take a break, spend some time with your wife, kind of hoping maybe they'll be able to cover up his own sin there. But Uriah is so faithful to the service, he keeps refusing to go back home. And so David realizes, okay, everyone's going to know This kid isn't Uriah's. What does he do? He partners with one of his generals and has Uriah sent to the front lines and killed. And then he takes Bathsheba back to his palace as as his own wife. Um, I think uh, that's probably... I was going to use a certain phrase. I'm going to go ahead and skip. But it wasn't a very great thing to do, uh, to say the least. And that takes us to uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12. We're going to do the first six verses here. So David is obviously going way off the beaten path and off of, of God's vision here. So um, we're at this point where the Lord has sent a prophet. So uh, starting in verse 1 here. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man and for the one he stole, uh, for the one he stole and for having no pity. Uh, now, the biggest thing I take away from this when I'm reading this uh, is, is David's amazing lack of self-awareness when he's being told this story. First off, back then, If a prophet comes to your palace and you're a king, your first thought should probably be, what did I do? (laughs) David doesn't go there, though. He's just talking to Nathan. He hears this story, and he gets really worked up about it. And look at his language here. He's got to repay it with four lambs. That guy deserves to die and whatever. So right after this, which we're not going to go into in detail, Nathan says, aha, it was about you the whole time. And he realizes where his mistake has been. Not only does Nathan say, this is about you, God turns David's words on him (laughs) and says, hey, you said that this should happen to the guy with the sheep, so guess what's about to happen to you? And David, in return, of course, he realizes his mistake, he repents, and he goes forward. In this case, again, the truth came out. David couldn't be in denial over what he did was wrong. Up to this point, it just really never even crossed his mind that he was doing anything especially wrong, or he may have, he knew it was wrong, But he was justifying and saying, you know, it's okay. And it eventually caught up with him. 
Now, hopefully no one is in David's situation right now, but there's a lot of other smaller things in your life that are going on where you're saying, hey, this is fine, this is okay. You might even look at it in someone else's life and think, man, they need help. But you leave it alone in your own. So we'll talk about that some more later, but, but just keep thinking right there. So no matter what, God is going to know, and if you want to be in sync with God, you've got to be the one to step forward. You don't want to get to the point that you're getting called out. Now, another way that we'll lie to ourselves is we'll tell ourselves that we can just handle it. It's fine. Uh, Some common phrases that I see here, I'm strong enough. I've got this. You know, I don't need someone else's help. I can just white knuckle it through quitting smoking and I'll be fine. Uh, Another one, I have to endure it for them, right? I I can't do something to fix myself because they need me. And so I've got to take care of them. I know what's best. So I know what's okay for me and what's not okay. I know the risks. I know the rewards. And I've decided that this is fine. And finally, I would rather deal with this than let other people know about it. And that's a dangerous one and a common one. And I'll, I'll tell you a personal story on this one. Uh, my wife and I got married pretty young. Uh, she was 19, I was 20. And that's a point in your life where you're still kind of growing, right? You're still learning who you are. And that led to several rough years early on in our marriage, very rough years. Um, We were at the brink of divorce multiple, multiple times. Uh, I tell people these days, I don't really need proof of God's existence because God saved my marriage. That was a big enough miracle, I'm convinced. One of the reasons we didn't really fix things and we didn't reach out for help was because we didn't want other people to know we were in a failing marriage right? Uh, I was worried about this. It's pride getting in the way there. Uh, and it's, there's so many things that we do this with where we're just like, I just don't want someone else to know. And so we're willing to suffer for the sake of our own pride. And there's a reason you need to avoid these kinds of thoughts as well. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, uh, this is verses 9 through 12, the Bible's pretty clear. It tells us two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But, if, but someone who falls alone is really in trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can you be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. We're not meant to walk alone. It's just how it goes. That's why we always stress community here. If you don't have a small group, get a small group. If you don't have accounting partners, accountability partners, get accountability partners. When you try to do things on your own, you are setting yourself up for failure. You're going to get that attack in the back you weren't expecting. You're going to fall into that pit that you didn't see there because you didn't have anyone to help guide your way. So again, we want to make sure that we're bringing other people in where we can and we're not telling ourselves, I've got this. That's what the world wants us to think, but we need to remember we're members of one body. We're, we're not our own. Now, the last way that we'll lie to ourselves, and this is in some ways I think the most tragic, is we'll tell ourselves that we don't deserve help. That our own sins and everything else in our life has brought us to a point that we deserve where we're at. This is where I'll hear things like, I don't want to bother anyone else. 
You know, my, my problems aren't big enough. You know, these people over here are working on drugs and alcohol addiction. Who am I to work, you know, say that, oh, I get sad sometimes or I have spending issues. That's not a big enough problem. I'm not a complainer. I hear that one sometimes. And uh, it can be a blessing to not be a complainer, but if it's to the extent that you're holding things into yourself because you're worried about making other people uncomfortable, that's when you're going to start hurting yourself again. God has other things to worry about. He's the creator of the universe. He doesn't care about my problems. I'm not worthy of help. And the one that I think is probably the biggest lie that the enemy tries to tell us, my sins are unforgivable. I did something so bad, there's, there's no way anyone's going to forgive me for this. My past is too dark. I've got too many marks against me. This is just how it is. I'm, I'm stuck. I've, I've ruined myself. And when this thought takes hold inside of your heart, it's one of the hardest ones to break out of because it leaves you feeling alone and feeling isolated. The best encouragement I can give you is in Colossians 1, 20, uh, chapter 1, 21 through 23. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. And there's so much beauty in this verse, and there's so much reassurance in it. The first thing I'm going to point out, and when I, when I first read this verse several years ago now, this is what jumped up at me, and every time I read it now, it still does. If you look in, in uh, verse 21, we're looking in the past tense. You were his enemies, separated from him. All of that is something that's happened in the past. In 22, there's a major change. Listen to this. You are holy. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. This is present tense. This is something that is happening right now. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it does not matter what else has happened. That was in the past. You were his enemy. Right now, you are holy and blameless. And what you have to do to internalize this is exactly what it says in verse 23. You have to believe in that truth and you have to stand firmly in it. The lies are going to come. You're going to hear over and over in your own head and from other people, you're not worthy, you're terrible, you don't deserve this forgiveness, but you have to stand firm in the truth. No, I am holy and blameless. And if you can get to that point, that's when you can start to forgive yourself and start to move on. Lying to ourselves is one of the trickiest parts of denial because it's all internal. It takes a lot of honesty and a lot of work to move past there. But it's not the only thing we do to stay in denial and stay where we're at. The other thing we'll do is we'll try to lie to others. And when we're lying to others, we're wanting to maintain this facade of being fine. This is where there's the overlap I had earlier uh, when I was saying we want to make sure we're not inconveniencing others or my pride is keeping me from going forward. 
uh, we want to show our lives as being great. We don't want people to think that things are falling apart around us. We don't want people to think, oh, hey, maybe he hasn't figured out this whole not drinking until he blacks out thing, or hey, maybe their, their nice car and nice house don't really indicate that they're great with their finances or whatever else is going on in the background there. And there's a few problems with this. <clears throat> Number one, when everyone is doing this, and everyone does do this, by the way, uh, when everyone is doing this, it sets the bar unobtainably high for everyone. Um, when we're not honest with each other about this, when we're all just going in this whole, hey, I'm fine kind of situation, then everyone is looking at everyone else saying, man, his life looks a lot nicer than my life. I wish I had his life. Meanwhile, he's looking at you and he's thinking the exact same thing because we've had this sort of dishonesty between each other. It's not healthy for anyone and it would probably be a lot better if we all just agreed with each other, hey, let's be honest about this. But we don't because there's that second part where we can't stand this idea of what if they judge me? What if they don't accept me? What if, what if, what if, what if? And unfortunately, it does happen. In fact, you may be guilty of it when you have that facade on and you're still wearing that face and you're confronted with someone who's being more honest. It's kind of tempting to go with the crowd and be like, did you see that guy over there? Meanwhile, you could be that guy who's over there. So there's a lot of reasons why this isn't great, but the biggest reason, in my opinion, why this is a problem is your witness. And that's because God works through our hurts. God works through our brokenness. We're all broken. There's no getting around that. But God is the only thing that can really heal us. When he does that, we're able to take these things that were broken inside of us, these things that we're in denial about now, and we're able to take them and be, put them in the light and show other people, hey, look at what I used to be. Look at what I used to have and look at what God's given me now. <clears throat> but when we're lying about it, when we're in denial about it, we can't get, God can't work those. If we're not going to accept it and acknowledge it, we're not letting God do that work in our lives. And instead, we get in this situation that we see in Matthew 7. This is verses 3 through 5. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eyes? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. You can't help others. You can't work for others if you're maintaining this level of, dis- of denial and dishonesty. And this is what we're called to. We're called to go in the world. We're called to spread God's message. <clears throat> Dave Ramsey has a very interesting way of describing people who are clinging to their, their old way of their finances that I have found applies to all kinds of denial. Uh, who, has, who has kids in here? Good, good chunk of us, right? Uh, so when they're toddlers, right, they develop the ability to run away from you and to say no, including when they have a dirty diaper and you're trying to negotiate with a two-year-old to please come over here so I can change your diaper and they just scream no. And it's because, you know, the diaper, you know, it may stink, but hey, at least it's, it's warm and it's mine, right? And that's kind of what, what this denial is like when we're clinging to these things. And that's why it's not going to work. Now, raise your hand if you like to be around a two-year-old with a poopy diaper. No? No one? Good. I'm glad the hand stayed down on that one. <clears throat> that's what you're doing with this denial and with your interaction with others. When you put up that facade, I'm fine. No. 
Now, there's one other thing that lying to others is going to get us, and that's going to be shutting out our loved ones. And I don't really have a verse to go with this one. This is just coming from my experience going through at Celebrate Recovery. One of the worst parts about this level of denial is when someone's spouse comes up and says, hey, I'm concerned. I think you're spending too much time by yourself in your computer room. <laughs> Look, I'm fine. Just leave me alone, okay? I don't want to talk about it right now. What's happening there? We're driving that wedge deeper and deeper in that relationship and pushing them away. If you want to wonder how marriages start to fall apart, it's those kinds of wedges that are right there. Or when we have a friend who cares a lot about us and they come up to us and say things like, you know, I'm worried that you've been drinking a lot lately. It's like, oh, no, no, you've just been seeing me when I've been relaxing. You know, everything's fine otherwise. They can see it. They can. They know when you're hungover. They know when you've been isolated for the last couple of weeks, and now we're pushing those friends away. And all of these things are putting us more and more and more into a spot where we're by ourselves. So this is why the main reason I'll circle back and say, be honest with the other people in your life. Try to be honest with you. Now, of course, if someone walks up to you on the street and says, hey, how are you going, doing today? They, they probably aren't actually asking you how you're doing today. So I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about that social, how are you doing? But when you're, when you're with your friends, when you're with your small group, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, life isn't going my way right now. In fact, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Now, tying all of this together is when we try to lie to God. And this is usually going to be kind of like the last phase in denial. Because at first, you know, it, you have to be able to recognize you have a problem, right? That's lying to yourself. You have to start being honest about the fact that you have a problem, and that's with the other people around you. And then we get to this point, which is lying to God. Now, a lot of times, this will come down to, uh, to pride and control again. I want to stay in control of this. I have, the abil- I have the ability to solve this by myself. I don't, I don't need God for this, or I don't want to disturb God. Any of those things we've already talked about, that's where those, those lies to yourself will start working into trying to lie to God. For me, and for a lot of the guys I've worked with, there's also a kind of an interesting aspect here. I know that if I go to God and I say to God, hey, I think I have an issue with this. I need to work with this. God, please give me your strength. God, help me work through this. He's going to listen to me, and he's going to try to work on this with me, which means now I actually do have to work on it. I might have said I wanted to work on it before, but I still don't really want to. I'm still kind of comfortable in my little corner here. And so that lie that we have, I summarized up here, if I don't confess it, I don't have to work on it. You know, obviously, it's not true at all, um, but uh, we think that we can still keep getting by without God intervening. And here's the thing. In Hebrews 4, the Bible tells us that for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we're accountable. It doesn't really matter if you confess it to him or not. He already knows. You might be thinking, hey, if I don't take it to him, then he'll just leave me alone and let me work on it. What God's really doing that whole time is, come on, Chris. When are you coming? I'm waiting for you right here. And it's, again, I'll go back to kids. It's easy to use kids as an analogy here. You know, I'll watch my children trying to figure something out and trying to work on something, and they're doing it in a, the, the wrongest of wrong ways. 
And I won't lie, I'm usually just kind of laughing on the side. I think it's hilarious. But I'm also waiting for them to come up and say, Dad, can you please help me with this? And it's funny how long it'll take them sometimes before they'll come up for help. And I imagine it's very much the same for God. So he's already waiting for you. Whether you want to pretend you can lie to him or not doesn't really matter. <clears throat> and there's, there's one other reason why we will lie to God, and this is still relating to the same thing. And this, this is, I think, dangerous. There's this thought that I have some kind of exception. Uh, there are... It's very easy to tell yourself, I know what God's word says, but I don't think God's convicting me, so I don't think I have to do anything about it. And that's because you're just ignoring what's going on there. Again, we're ignoring that conviction. Um, I'll see this done sometimes where people don't want to admit to a certain flaw, or they don't want to admit that a certain behavior or a certain addiction, relationship, whatever. They want to say that it's okay, there's an exception for me. I've heard this a surprising amount of times. Well, I prayed about it, and I feel like God told me it was okay. Really, God told you this thing that the Bible says not to do is fine. God is never going to contradict himself. Okay, this is where you need a reality check here. If you think that God is telling you it's okay to do something or to participate in something that his word clearly says is not, then I think you need to double-check your priorities here, and I think you need to double-check what voice you're listening to. So when we're in this situation, when we're in denial, how do we really move forward? And, you know, on those three levels, there's, there's three different things that, that tend to be the biggest helpers. This could be its own entire, like, hour-long message, and I'll spare you and not do that. But in this case, I would say the most basic ways you can check your denial, if it's, if it's toward yourself, um, I found it's very useful to ask myself, would this be okay if this was with someone I love? If someone else was doing this and I was looking at them, would that be okay to me or not? Now, your answer may be yes, in which case you have other issues to work out. But in most cases, you're probably going to find that, hey, if someone else was doing this, I would tell them, like, okay, you, so you're telling me that you drink a six-pack every night? Okay, yeah, I think you probably need some help. I don't need help, but you need help. You know, if, if we think about how it would be if, if someone we love is doing it, that'll really change your perspective. It takes you out of the equation and can help break that denial. Um, when it comes to other people, ask them. Find your loved ones. Find your spouses, your accountability partners, your small group, and ask them, hey, what, what in my life do you think... I need to change? Where, what do you think I need to work on? Because believe me, they know. Your loved ones know. They've seen it. What you'll find sometimes in this conversation to be careful about is you'll want to have a knee-jerk self-defense come up and you know, say, uh, yeah, you spend too much time on your computer. Well, no, I don't. Like, you'll, you'll find you want to argue with them. Just step away. Just say, thanks for telling me. Step away and think about it. Process it. Is this true? Is it not? So again, if you don't know where to start, ask them. But the most important thing you can do by far is pray about it. There's this lovely effect in Celebrate Recovery. The first, you know, when we're doing one of our our long-term close studies, almost the entire first book is about denial. And it keeps asking the same question over and over and over. What are you in denial about in your life? What in your life are you in denial about? And it keeps just rewording it and asking it. 
And it's always great uh, when I'm leading a group. About week five, you start seeing some guys get really upset at this question. Like, why does it keep asking me this question? Um, And then eventually like, oh, wait, I haven't forgiven my ex-wife for taking the kids. How did I not realize that? And it'll just suddenly snap. And what's happening is they've been spending all of that time thinking about it and praying about it. God's going to reveal it to you if you take it to him. In fact, this is a promise of his. This is in uh, Psalms 139, 23, 24. This is the prayer that you can have here. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. If you're willing to say that psalm as a prayer, I guarantee you that God is going to reveal things to you. It may take some time. You may have to pray more than once. It's a scary thought, I know. But if you'll do that, God is willing to work with you. I'm going to summarize this all real quick in a quick little story that we like to tell and celebrate recovery. This is called Recovery, a Story in Five Chapters. In chapter one, I decide to go out for a walk one day. And as I'm walking, I notice a street that has some very interesting shops, and it looks like there may be some things down on the other side of the street that I really want to see. I know that there's some construction going on. There's some warning signs. Um, maybe there's a, you know, some workers or whatever. But I tell myself, you know what? It's okay, though. I want to see what's down at the end of the street. I, I want to shop here, so I'm going to go ahead and walk down this street anyway. I can take care of it. I'll pay attention to the warning signs. I'll be fine. And then you fall into the giant hole in front of you that you didn't notice. You wind up at the bottom of the hole. You're dirty. You're bruised. You're battered. Who put this hole here? It's not your fault that the hole's there. Someone else dug it, right? It's not your fault that you fell into it. You had no way of knowing there'd be a giant hole there. And it takes you a while, and you slowly are able to crawl your way out of that hole, and you're able to limp on doing whatever else you were doing. Now, in chapter 2 you decide that you want to go back and visit one of the shops on that street again. There was something there that appealed to you. And as you're about to go, your your spouse says to you, are you sure you want to go down that street again? Because you fell into a hole last time. And you say, yes, it's fine. It's fine. I'll pay attention. And as you're walking, one of your friends tells you, hey, be careful. That street's under construction. There's some holes in it. You say, I know. I know about the holes. Everything's good. And you go and you start walking down that street and you fall right back into the same hole again. And you're back at the bottom, you're like, how did this happen a second time? Someone must have moved this hole, or something changed. But either way, you're bruised and you're battered again. In your mind, it's still not your fault that you're down there. That hole was put there by someone else on purpose. It takes you a lot of time to crawl your way out of it, and finally you're able to limp your way along. Now, by chapter 3, you realize, yeah, there's a problem walking down this street. I know if I walk down the street, I'm going to fall into that stupid hole again. But I really want to get to that shop that's at the end of the street. So I start walking down it, and this time I accept the inevitable. I just dive right into the hole. (laughs) I know why I'm there. I know it's my fault that I'm there. I get out of it a little bit quicker because I'm so familiar with it, and I go limping away considering myself a failure. Now, in chapter 4, I'm willing to make a change. I've I've come to understand, I've acknowledged the fact that that holds a problem for me. So in chapter 4, I go out for a walk, and I decide, this is the day. This is the day I make a change. 
And so I will go to that street, and I march proudly down there, and I see the hole in front of me, and I walk right around the hole, and I'm able to go and do my shopping, and everything is great. And I go home, no dirt on me, I'm not bruised, I'm really proud of myself. Now, this is what we would call traditional or secular sobriety. So congratulations, you have fixed the behavior. You are no longer falling into that hole. But you're still walking on the same street where that hole is. And what's going to happen is someday you're not going to be paying attention and you're going right back into that hole. Or maybe a new hole pops up a little further down the road. You weren't even aware of that one. And we're right back to day one. Who put this hole here? So now I introduce you to chapter five. In chapter five, I go for my walk and I see a detour sign in front of the street this time. I've been ignoring it this whole time, but instead of walking down that street with the hole, I follow the detour and I walk down a new street. And that new street is good. This is when we listen to God and we follow God's plan. I promise you that if you pray to God, if you ask him, the signs will be there. And it's up to you if you're going to decide, are you going to keep walking down that same street or not? Or are you going to follow that new path and go a new way? And are you going to go God's way? And I promise you, if you go God's way, there's a lot of tremendous things waiting for you. So let let me pray for you all uh, real quick. We've got just a couple announcements afterward. But let let me just pray for this. Father God, I want to thank you uh, again for this church and this community that you've given us. And I pray, Lord, that, that the people who needed to hear this message have heard it today, whether they're here or whether they're online. Lord, stepping out of our denial, admitting our hurts, hang-ups, and habits, that's, that's a terrifying concept for us. It's something that your word tells us that we shouldn't do alone. So I pray that you give each of us the strength as we go into this new year um, that we're able to have the courage to work through this and the courage to be honest with ourselves, with each other, and with you. And, and Lord, there's some people maybe who are watching right now who haven't even made the initial decision to come to you. This isn't a matter of a new year, but starting a new life, Lord. I pray for each of them, Lord, that you show them your ways and you show them that you love them and that you care for them. And if you are, if you are a newer person, if you do want to ex- make that decision and accept Jesus Christ into your heart, all you have to do is, is repeat this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I've been trying things my way and they haven't been working. I want to try things your way. I believe that you're my Lord and Savior, and I believe that you died on the cross for, fi- for my forgiveness. Please come into my heart and show me the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we have a couple things going on. Um, biggest thing is the Christmas takedown. So all this stuff has been great to look at. It's beautiful, but it, it needs to go away now. Uh, it's middle of January. Uh, So if everyone could just stay by and help a little bit, we'll get this done in like half an hour or so. If everyone leaves, but Hector, he's going to be here for a long time. So please think of Hector. Uh, We are not going to be taking up our offering like normal. Do we have the bucket out or... Yeah, we got our offering bucket over there if you wanted to leave some cash. Uh, you are able to also write a check to the church. The address should be on the screen right now. Or you can go online to lakewayonline.org slash giving. Uh, Pastor Mike will be back next week. But thank you all for uh, staying with me through this. Have a great week and God bless.